Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. And this is Kendall Monette. Each week we bring you stories that keep you up to speed and connected to the world around you. We give you the news that matters so you don't feel so dumb around your smart friends. So this week I'm in L.A. and I took the opportunity to visit Kim Boykin, who was the first baby under a pound to survive. She's not a baby anymore and uh, she's grown up and she's written a book (laughs) about how she's struggled to breathe after being born, but that struggle has continued to be a theme in her life. The book is called A Black Mother's Cry. But first, the headlines. So Kendall, this is kind of like what I talked about before. A chemical plant in India has figured out how to turn carbon emissions into baking soda. And remember I was talking about there was somebody else who's turning carbon emissions into ethanol. Well, um, so... Oh, yeah. But baking soda. Baking soda is really cool, too. Um, They're expecting to turn 60,000 tons of CO2 into baking soda at this chemical plant that belches plenty of CO2 into the air. Um, So it's cool you can turn a greenhouse gas to use for... uh, you know, cooking, deodorizing your fridge, and to make, uh, you know, little volcano projects for your fourth graders. I love baking soda. Um, I don't really use it for cooking, but uh, I've only used it for the volcanoes. Um, but, uh, so, but, but why is this? So there's actually this isn't a new thing, carbon capture technologies, it's called. Um, but this company is unique because it uh, um, it's not... It's not relying on subsidies from the government. It actually has a profitable profitable business model. It's like when we were talking about uh, climate change with Jason Quinn. He said, if if we're going to implement these green technologies, they've got to be cost effective. And this might pass that litmus test. That's awesome. Uh, so this is in India? Yeah, yeah. This is a, and I think it originally, um, the concept was developed in the UK, but uh, they... Um, that that's where it was theorized, and then it was actually implemented, um, and it will be implemented at a chemical plant in India. And here's a little chemistry lesson, just so you can learn a little bit about coal combustion. So you get carbon, and you combine it with O2, that's air, and carbon is coal, right? And you combine it, and it creates energy, but the output is CO2. So C plus O2 gets CO2. Um, yeah, and that basically that heat is used to boil water and turn turbines that generate electricity. So um, yeah, CO2 is greenhouse gas, and I think it's really cool that we're trying to limit that because that warms up our Earth a little bit more than we want it to. Nice. Now they just need a solution for all the methane <laughs> from those cows. Yeah. Yep. We were talking about that last <laughs> time. So last week was back to school for Congress. There were a lot of New congressmen and women sworn in um, in both the House and the Senate. Some of it was just ceremonious. But then there were a few issues that are heating up for Congress. Uh, A bunch of the committees have been meeting publicly and privately on issues ranging from Obamacare to Social Security, Planned Parenthood to our relationship with Russia. So there's a lot that's going to be happening. Um, Just as a reminder, the last time that we saw unified government, which is both houses of Congress being uh, from the same party as the White House. Basically, it's all controlled by the same party. Last time we saw that was 2008, which is when Obamacare was born, and uh, the Democrats had a chance to push through a lot of their agendas. So big things happen. That's the takeaway here is big things happen when you have unified government. 
Um, the only caveat I would add to that is Trump and the Republicans. There's a little bit more in-house drama than one would think. Um, he's not exactly a conventional is Republican. Is he even a Republican? So, yeah, he's, he's a Trump. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of doubt as to how much exactly will happen on all of those things I mentioned, especially this Russia thing that's been in the headlines for a while. I was talking with my sister about our little segment we did on the Russia hacking a, a couple weeks ago. Right. Unfortunately, we don't really have much of an update. She said, so you said what we don't know. What do we know exactly um, to be announced? Well, <laughs> we and, and, but, but the big news was, you know, the last week that, that uh, Trump was officially briefed on this issue and he kept, you know, denying that, uh, that the, the Russians were, were meddling. But so he finally released a statement saying, uh, you know, Russia and China, of course, <laughs> have been uh, meddling in the, the election and they haven't hacked any voting machines, which I thought was kind of funny. It was kind of a distraction from the real issue. I mean, of course, I mean, no one ever said voting machines would be hacked anyway, but yeah, no, nobody's serious. Nobody in government. <laughs> there are conspiracy theories out there. <laughs> right, right, right. There's, there's plenty of those. So last week, scientists released a new recommendation for parents that they can give peanut products to their kids at an early age. And this actually con- contradicts what scientists have said before. They said wait until they're three years old. Um, but even high-risk kids, like it, at least by when they're six months old, you could give them just a little bit of peanut. And that actually, I saw this, and oh, yeah. I don't know what to believe now. <laughs> oh, well, uh, I mean, I mean that's what science is. It always is developing. We're always learning new things. I mean, I wouldn't give your kid a ton of peanut butter anyway, just in small doses. And some people have recommended just like mix it with water, so it can be, you know, uh, so it's not like a choking hazard, but. It actually makes them less likely to develop the allergy, even if they're really prone, even if they're genetically, um, you know, prone to to develop that allergy. Uh, go ahead and introduce it, um, obviously with caution and in small doses. So, should you have like an EpiPen ready when you're <laughs> introducing this to your child? I don't know. Just it's just like with paint. Just try it on a small area. And I hate talking about kids this way. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, apparently they're confident that this is a, a good move. I mean, if if you could uh, eliminate a, an allergy before it even happens at a young age, that's that's awesome. Um, and I was kind of thinking yeah. about like all the other things scientists have have done in the past as far as like recommendations for parents, like. The recommendations with blankets has changed. That actually happened, I think, last year. Um, that they don't even recommend blankets in cribs, just in case of suffocation. Just, just bundle them up. So yeah. Um, but and obviously things like that do contradict things that doctors say. But I think listening to a doctor is better than listening to your, you know, your great aunt that has um, these um, wives' tales about you know how <laughs> to take care of your kids. I hope my great aunt isn't listening. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so last week there was a prison break in the Philippines where more than 150 prisoners escaped from um, a prison in the southern island of Mindanao when an Islamist separatist group attacked the prison. So for those who know, this happened on that island of Mindanao. It's the big one in the south. Um, the Philippines is mostly a Catholic country. 
but there are large numbers of Muslims as you go further south, especially on that island. There are multiple separatist groups, which means they want a separate region for Muslims, a semi-autonomous region, and they see the Philippine government as their enemy. So not necessarily Catholics or non-Muslims as their enemy necessarily, but mostly the government. And so, was the goal to get the prison the prisoners escaped? Is that what the 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 separatist group attacking the prison was that their motive, or that's just what happened? Yes. So um, this was the third prison break attempt in recent years, and um, this has been seen as an attempt to free certain Islamist fighters that were in that prison, like bomb makers. Um, this is a, a theme that we've actually seen in the Philippines in recent years, especially from these groups. Um, bomb making is apparently a highly sought after skill. And when the government catches and imprisons bomb makers, they're often broken out of jail and um, they're, they're high value targets for the military and the police in the Philippines. So of the 158 escaping prisoners, there have been 40 that have been rearrested already. The, yeah. the other 110 are at large, right? Right. Right. But this is not the only problem in the Philippines prison or justice system. In late 2015, the Bilibid prison raid made the headlines. And this is a suburb of Manila, the capital of the Philippines. In this raid, they found drugs, guns, cash in amounts, I think, if I remember correctly, up to $40,000. Theater rooms, recording studios for prisoners there that were aspiring artists, what? rappers, and, and the like. Oh, um, wow. These cool yeah. prisoners. Yeah. it's So the Philippines has this tourism slogan that goes, it's more fun in the Philippines. So apparently being in prison is more fun in the Philippines, oh, too. Wow. I wouldn't recommend it, but nice yeah. to know. So this all points to corruption, obviously. This kind of thing can't happen. You can't build these massive prison compounds where prisoners can just roll in and out in their... Lamborghinis, literally really? rolling in and out of prison in in sports cars. You can't have that kind of a setup without some cooperation from the local guards and the people running the prisons. Um, there's a lot of corruption in the system itself. On a side note, Duterte, the president that a lot of people have been seeing in the news, he's had a big crackdown on drug use. So not even in this area, not even in the area of corruption. I'm trying not to be biased but uh my bias is going to show through anyway i don't like the guy he's he's, he doesn't he's like big... us i mean he he disses obama all the time um yeah yeah he he's unconventional to say the least um but he that's a new word he's that's gone after small time yeah he's gone after a lot of small time drug users and dealers but not really addressing the problem from a systemic and strategic approach so he's caught a lot of flack from that on the international stage. And really, these, these kinds of problems, the Islamic um, terror threat in the South and the corruption, even in the capital, there hasn't been a lot of evidence of him cracking down on that, like, say, President Xi Jinping in China with his corruption crackdown. Wow. And now for our main story. Kim Boykin is an author working on a book called A Black Mother's Cry. It's a book that tells the experiences of mothers from several walks of life and several different perspectives. Kim, welcome to Un Uninformed. 
Thank you for having me. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my book. So this book is a true story of mothers from all walks of life. Black does not define a race. It defines the darkness moments in a mother's life. This book is designed to strengthen and encourage women all over the world. I have felt and witnessed the struggle of mothers experienced on a daily basis. We as women, we bring life to the world. We are the comforters, the teachers to our children, to love. We have our offsprings was deeply embedded in our hearts by our mothers or our mother figure looking in your children's eyes for the first time or your child eyes for the first time could make you change your cycle of life. Dark clouds sometimes will creep in and snatch you in the joy. So that was just a little... Excerpt from your book, um, and uh, kind of part of the intro, right? Um, and, and, and I've read part of the intro. Um, another part, you say, this book is not about race, but it's called A Black Mother's Cry. So, so this isn't about being a black mother? No, it's not about being a black mother. It's about dark moments, dark situations the mothers face as a mother, and... Um, and how they deal with it to protect their children or to um, be the best mother they can be. So, like, black is in, like, the, the dark moments. And you happen to be, you know, a black mother, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't tell on the recording, right? <laughs> um, and, and I've read through, um, you know, a few drafts of this. Um, and I, I know that this, this book illustrates some of the, like you said, some of the darkest moments in a mother's life. Or in a child's life. So l let's read some of those experiences. Let's, uh, yeah, l let's start with uh, when you were a baby. Okay. I came into this world fighting to breathe, fighting to love, fighting to see the destiny my Heavenly Father had for me. The first premature baby to live under a pal in the United States of America. Wow. You were the first baby to live under a pal in America. Yes, that's when incubators had just started. They just started in 1979. So I'm talking to somebody who's fam famous. You were in the papers, right? <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> now, now, somebody's probably broken your record because we have better technologies now, right? Of course. <laughs> well, well, i got to get them on the show, right? <laughs> but for now, you're the winner. <laughs> okay, so the first premature baby to live under pound in the United States of America. Okay, continue. Clinging for dear life, holding on to make my place in this world. I often wonder what it was my mother said to me when I was a growing fetus in her stomach that made me want to stay fighting. Or was it the prayers pouring out in the waiting room, begging and pleading, God, just let her live. Now, the story that was told to me was my stepmother, dad, both grandmothers and one of my aunts was sitting in the waiting room, waiting for the chance to see me before I took my last breath. Respiratory distress was the dark cloud that covered my little lungs. Treatments after treatment for respiratory failure, the doctor prepared 
my family. She's probably not going to live. Echoes in the hallways of the hospital, lying lifeless in an incubator, struggling to breathe on my own as wires cover my naked body. A fetus having fully grown, trying to survive outside of her mother's womb as drugs run through my little veins. My mother lays unconscious in another room, not knowing if her child was alive or not. The last thing she remembered was the doctor telling her it's either her life or her child's life. As she float in and out of conscience, she went into the operating room to have an emergency C-section. Where was her support? A young mother-to-be, only 15, facing life or death, not knowing if her or her child is going to live or not. As the father of her child is en route to the hospital with her, with his other woman, soon to be wife. So it seems like in your book that struggling for air kind of was, you know, the that was the first thing you did in your life, and it kind of was a theme throughout your life, struggling for air. So, how has struggling for air been a theme in your life? Well, struggling for air is like, you know. For me, it's like fighting. And so when I was this infant or this, you know, this baby fighting to live. And so for me, as a mother, we constantly fight all the time. We constantly fight and um, to try to be the best mother we can be. Try to fight through obstacles to be able to provide for our children. To We make certain sacrifices for our children so we can be able to um, teach them the way that they need to go. Yeah. And, uh, and then you also talk about what your mother had to go through, just wondering if her child would live. So let's fast forward to when you're five years old, you kind of talk about wondering if your mother's going to be there or not. Okay. I remember being five, looking out the window with my bags in my hands, waiting as I cried, wondering how much longer it would take her to come get me. Hours and hours passed by. Once again, I fell asleep in the windowsill. She never showed, but she wanted me to come and live with her. How, if she wouldn't even come see me? She came over earlier through the week, getting out of jail, making the world believe she wanted to be the mother of the year. Why ask? Can I spend time if you have no time? Or are you not going to make time for anybody, especially a child? My stepmother always told her, yes, she can come see me or come get me. I believe my stepmother said yes, not for me to get let down, but for me to experience the heartbreak that would make me stronger. She always said, Kim, no matter what happened, or what she doesn't do, love her. Because if it wasn't for her, you wouldn't be here. So that's kind of a look into your feelings as a five-year-old. Yes. Um, okay, so let's look, Try. I know you also kind of try to get into the mind of your mom and what she's going through. Let's uh, look at that a little bit. For example, all my mother sees is pain as she look over her life. So she turned to alcohol, drugs, and a reckless style of living. 
Why when she first looked into my eyes for that moment of joy, she didn't make me her first priority? Was it because I came out with too many obstacles or was it because my father had another woman? Maybe it was because she wasn't financially stable or did it have or didn't have the support team she needed to help her get on her feet. You would think when the nurse told her I was still alive would give her the joy of trying to be the best mother she can ever be. Disappointment is a killer to a lot of people. When did she stop caring? Was it when the man she loved falls in love with the woman that would take her to court and fight for her child's well-being? I talked to many of women. It's something about getting your kid took away from you. It can spin you it can send you in a state of mind where you can't come back from. It can break you down so low where you start to believe maybe I'm not the best thing for my child. Was this the case? Did she look in the mirror not having faith to see all I need was her? Did she stop believing in herself when the judge said, I grant you? supervised visitations at the woman's house that was sleeping with her child's father losing the only thing that mattered can send you in a loop of reckless living wow and i think those are some things we'll never quite understand but uh this is your attempt to try to get into your mom's mind of why is she doing this right yeah so i know a lot of people talk about what's called the chain of poverty where you know poverty is passed down from generation to generation do you feel like there is a chain of a, a chain of bad parenting yes it is you know for example for me i use my experiences um the cycle that i seen like my mom had her first kid when she was 15 and you, most 15 year olds really can't take care of themselves, yeah. less known a baby. <laughs> and so, um, my stepmom had her first child when she was 16 and I had cousins that had their first kids between 15 and 16 and the, they was able to take care of their kids and stuff, but with help of other people versus my mom, she had help, but she was still immature a little bit. So for her cycle and my cycle, she wasn't able to be the best mother that she can be, you know, even though she had a good mother and, but her mother had a little problems, but every mother have problems. Yeah. So for me, um, I had to break the cycle and I said that no matter what, my mother wasn't there for me and I'm going to be there for my kids. So when I had my first child, when I was 16 years old, I moved out on my own and I've been taking care of my kids and striving to be the best mother that I can ever be. And so in order to break that cycle, you have to have one knowledge of that something is there. The second thing is you have to have faith that you can break that cycle and you have to have faith in God that he can give you the tools you need to um, conquer whatever you need conquer to be the best that you can be. So, and I've spoken to a lot of people that 
I think they've had a total normal upbringing, totally normal childhood. But then, then when we really get talking, I found out that their parents weren't supportive. They weren't showing love. These are these are these are people from all sorts of backgrounds um, that, yeah, had a bad upbringing and parenting that that really was not supportive. So, what would you say to those people that that really lacked? having the the support from parents that they they wish they had another thing in the story is it talks about my mother living down the street from me and how can you live down the street from someone and don't see a child you know or my dad leaving me in a home where he's he left me with his wife and he took off you know and so i always felt like you know that um i wasn't loved or i didn't you know, I felt I, I I didn't really feel good growing up as a child. As I as me growing up as a child, I'm I I wanted that love. I wanted that love, and it it carried on to my um, teenager years when I ended up having a child when I was just only sixteen years old. And so, what I say to those people is, you know, don't allow that to stop you for wanting more in life for doing more for your children don't allow that to um hinder you for being the best that you can be and don't don't i mean i guess you didn't use it as an as an excuse and you could have yes i could have used it as an excuse i could have did the same cycle my mother done not be there for my kids turn to drugs because all the things that pain and hurt I felt to cover it up. But I didn't do that. I turned to God. And I even, I remember as a child sitting inside of the restroom in our in our home praying, you know, to God to take that pain away to help me um, deal with certain things and stuff or whatever because I felt like I wasn't wanted. I felt that I wasn't loved. So, uh, I'm going to ask you to do something that I, I probably didn't tell you this. Uh, be, yeah, I didn't tell you this before. But, uh, so you're a writer. Um, but I know that you have a lot of experience writing songs. So, so why, why don't you sing a song that maybe helps paint the picture of this book that you're, you're writing? I have the person... Perfect song. For Putting me. you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I have the perfect but song. But I knew you could do it. Yes. So the perfect song that I have for you is Born in a Cold World. Let's hear it. Born in the cold world Where it's hard for a flower to grow I recognize the beauty through the pain as I stand like a tree through the rain For every season there's a reason I keep falling on the ground And just like a tree that changes colors I am gonna change now Cause I am an eagle Flying through the sky Gather the people 
it that he go. One day it be you. Raindrops is falling. The sky, the sky is gray. Your rainbow will come after the storm. Wash your problems away. For every color in this world comes from the life to live within. And you will gain your power. So receive your joy again. Cause you want an eagle. Flying through the sky. Gather the people. Look at that eagle. One day it be you. Kim Boykin. Thanks for joining us. And I, I, uh, I really think that when you... Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really... I, I think the, the, the book should come with a soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kim. All right. A big thanks to Kim Boykin for uh, hanging out with us this weekend. And uh, thanks for all of you listeners. If you like the episode, subscribe on your podcast app. That's the best way to listen to us. That's right. So on an iPhone, that's the purple app called Podcasts. On Android, we recommend Pocket Casts, but you can get any number of podcast apps. Um, our music is provided by D.D. Dumbo with permission. And this has been Ununinformed with Kendall Monet. And I'm Sean Seavey. And you can also like our face, face like our face. <laughs> you can also like our Facebook page, um, if, and you don't have to like our face for that. Anyway, we are that, and also the website at ununinformed.com. That's un-uninformed.com. Thanks, guys.